You're listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Friday afternoon. And since it's Friday, it is that time for the Agenda Cafe. And I'd like to welcome back to the program our wonderful co-host, Karen Co. Karen, how are you doing? I'm very good, Noreen. Very good. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. So we've got a great topic today. What are we talking about today? Yeah. So today, to l- allow me to use a pun, we're raising the curtain on a Hong Kong film which deals with. An issue that is really not discussed in Hong Kong,、uh, the lives and experiences of older gay men,、uh, what we call, what is called the gay and grey community. So the film, which is called Suk Suk, is directed by Ray Young, and it's based on a book、uh, which is called The Oral Histories of Older Gay Men in Hong Kong, written by Dr. Travis Kong. And、uh, Travis is an associate professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Hong Kong, and we are delighted, after many weeks of trying, to have both. Of them in the studio with us to tell us more about it. So, welcome to you both, Ray and Travis. Hello, hi. 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 So, let's start off at the beginning, which will be with Travis. If you can tell us about the research that you did into the elderly gay community in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's amazing because it's actually talked about more than ten years ago. That was the time that I just finished my first book, which is about like、uh, Chinese gay men living in Hong Kong, as well as those living in England and in mainland China. So I sort of like you know trying to make a comparison with that. And after finished that book, I thought like, okay, so what's the next project for me? <laughs> and then I and I was like thinking like.、Uh, Well,、um, there was actually a puzzle in the Hong Kong LGBT community, which is about like、um, older LGBT in Hong Kong. Talk about those actually born before the nineteen fifty, and then I search in you know literature and I find nothing, <laughs> and so that's why I thought, oh no, this is like really the project I really want to work on. And so there was around like two o o eight or two o nine. And so I just started the project and doing oral history of older gay men in Hong Kong. And、uh, at first, it was really difficult for me to find like any one single interview year, but it was like amazing. Like anyway, like、uh, and after half a year, <laughs> I finally got like in touch with the first interview year. And so one leads to another. And so I actually interview many, many gay men, older gay men in Hong Kong, and.、Uh, And at first, I was just like an academic study. You know, I just want to like fill up, you know, the academic gap of like this older gay man. And but in the course of like interviewing this gay man, then I find like there was something in common among these older gay men. Like they were quite lonely, and most of them they have the coming out. Problem or dynamic because most of them actually got married, you know, and、uh, with their wives and kids and even grandchildren, and also they were all. In some way, being excluded from the Hong Kong, kind of like quite well established, like、um, the youth-oriented gay community, and、uh, they couldn't really fit in, right? And also their health, like、um, physical, psychological, mental, in some way, kind of like you know gone downhill. So that's why I thought like, oh, I really want to do something for them. So that's why I、um, uh, I gather them together, and then we have that dim sum yum cha, right? <laughs> Um, uh, uh, on a Saturday every month, and so that's how, like, you know, got the momentum. And I thought, oh no, I really want to write something about the stories, you know, to the Hong Kong community. So I wrote it in Chinese, and、uh, and so I produced a book in Chinese in two thousand four. And、uh, on that year, I we also set up like、um, the first and still the only social group in Hong Kong, which taking care of like well-being of older gay men in Hong Kong, called Gang Ray. 
Yeah, so this is how it all started. <laughs> so, Travis, sounds like these men basically have lived their whole lives pretending to be heterosexual. I mean, they they get married, they have kids, they live as if they're straight. Um, why why did they choose to do this, or was it not so much of a choice? Uh, well. Uh, Actually, there are sort of like two major groups among these older gay men. One is like what you said, like uh, they got married. And at that time, because like there was time you talked about like almost 50, 60 years, yeah. Homosexuality was still like a crime in Hong Kong. And also in the, in the popular culture, in the mass media, no one really talked about it. Or even when they talked about it, it was really negative. You know, it was like a, 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 a mental disease or like, you know, it was something really abnormal, outrageous, perverted. Da, 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 da. And so they lived in that sort of like environment. So that's why like most of them, they couldn't really come out from the closet. And also for the other group, like, uh, they, they, uh, they have always been single. Um, they, they knew quite clearly about their sexual orientation, but they, they dare not, like, you know, to speak it out and they talked about it. So I think, like, you know, because of that kind of, like, it's so cultural, uh, political conditions were very different at that time. So that's why, like, uh, they didn't really have any intention to come out at all. How did you gain their trust? How did you get the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I think, like, um, it, it, well, because I'm myself just gay, and so, uh, uh, and so I, I think it's the time, like, um, uh, I, I just told them about what I've been doing, and, and, and then I showed them about, you know, my work before, and so that's why, like, you know, they thought, like, all right, okay, so, yeah, he's, uh, like, you know, uh, he's a professor coming from a university, so, like, yeah. And also, it's interesting, because, like, most of these gay men, like, when they talked to me about their lives, because I'm doing oral history, so I'm not just talking about their sexual orientation stuff, and so I talk about, like, you know, their work life, education, family, da 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 and then, like, um, uh, when they talked about it, uh, uh, there are other aspects of their life like it was sort of like you know quite fermentary and also a little bit like jumpy you know talk about like and then mix up like you know with the years da, da, da. but when I asked them about like you know their uh the trajectory or like you know the journey of like um uh becoming like or realizing their same sense desires it was actually really consistent and then they were like you know talk to me for like half an hour without stop <laughs> you know, they would just keep talking and talking and talking and i was so amazed by that and after that i, I asked have you, have you ever like you know talked to anyone they said no i said well, well how come like you know it could be so like you know so smooth and so like um uh 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 coherent about the story so i thought like they actually been like you know rehearsing in their mind for many many times so they just wait like you know for the ideal person for the right person right yeah for the right person you know that they could actually come out to so i'm just happened to be that person were they happy i mean are they happy with their lives i mean travis you you so openly say i'm gay and you know we live mm -hmm. in a time where we can live our truth we can be who we are right but they couldn't. Yeah. Well, in a way, yes and no. I I, I think like uh, uh most of them they actually quite enjoyed their so-called like heterosexual family life, right? You know, they love their wives, and then they actually like uh, having their children. I think that kind of like you know the whole idea about that heterosexual family sort of like environment and setting in some way is quite attractive to them. You know, that's sort of like normalness. Like, well, I live in kind of like so-called normal life, and so it 
give them a lot of like you know security uh, and belonging. So that's why in some way they you know quite happy with that. But of course, like uh, that in some way they have to sacrifice like you know their uh, um, uh, their desires about like longing for like a same sex intimacy. So that's why like you know they have that kind of like you know from my point of view like that um, love and hatred and like you know bittersweet sort of like you know the, um, relationship with their family. And do you think that um, if, you know, when they grew up, obviously, as you said, the society in Hong Kong was quite different and it is changing. Do you think they'd be any more comfortable now coming out because society is a bit more open or not? Yeah, I mean, the society is in some way, uh, it has been much more open, you know, than before and much more tolerated. But I think it's exactly the time, like, they kind of like find it quite not easy because like, you know, for the young generations, like, uh, they say, oh, yeah, I'm just gay, you know, and I I talk to my parents and then like, you know, they're not very happy with that, but like, you know, who cares, you know, because I'm just gay. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's what I am. But then, you know, for this older gay man, it's really hard for them. Like, you know, because like now not coming out seems to be like an irresponsible and selfish sort of like behavior. Right. But then like, uh, but I think we have to understand about like, you know, the different social and historical circumstances. So I, I never really pushed this like, you know, older gay man to come out, even though like, you know, I think like, you know, they might be happier, you know, if they mm. could do that. But like, and you know, I would never, yeah. never like, because you know, they push could them. also disrupt so many other people's yeah, lives. Right. Right? Yeah. And then they have to live with that as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. So Ray, let's bring you into the conversation. How did Travis's stories uh, and book come to your attention? And, and why did you decide that this was something you wanted to make into a film? Um, I think I, I used to live in New York. Um, I came back to Hong Kong in 2015, uh, mainly because I wanted to make a Cantonese movie. Um, I'm born in Hong Kong, and um, so um, I really wanted to make a Cantonese uh, language movie. So um, I, I, I actually knew Travis a while back, and then um, I was going around asking people what you know what would be a good idea, doing research, and then he gave me his book. So I read it, and I thought, wow, this is so interesting. Um, it's never really been told before, you know, that kind of stories. And also in the movies, you know, we very rarely address any issues about uh, elder generation. So, and particularly, you know, LGBT. So I thought, well, okay, I must meet some of these people. So um, I asked Travis to introduce me to some of the interviewees. And he said, well, some of them have actually gone. There was a couple of stories that I was really interested in. He said, well, they're pass away already mm. so I thought well okay then there's an urgency to this now you know you really have to get this done because otherwise this could be lost forever you know um, so I uh, he introduced me to some of these um, uh, interviewees and I met up with them and they were very kind you know I was able to go into their houses and uh, speak to them and and the more I got to know them the more I find out that oh, okay wow you know they have very, very multifaceted in their lives, you know, a lot of contradictions as well. You know, like well, like one guy when I was talking to him about his past and then he said, oh, well, I used to have all these boyfriends and, you know, was, my life was quite fabulous. And I thought, wow, wonderful, you know. And I said, well, how about your family? And then he said, well, you know, um, my, um, and then he went really quiet like that. So I said, oh, okay. Um, so what's going on? He said, well, uh, because I came out to my mother, you know, 30 years ago and, um, then she developed cancer and then she died. And so now when I go to the graveyard, when I, you know, I apologize to her and say that I should never have come out because my coming out have caused your cancer and then you die. So he actually put all the blame, everything, you know, internalized it. And, and then he got really light teary. And I just thought, wow, my 40 years later, 
you still carry that guilt with you just because you were brave enough to step out and tell her who you were, you know. And so I thought that was one of those stories that I thought, you know, how do you put it into a movie? You know, like this kind of one side that they seem to be very happy with who they are, but actually beyond that facet, it's like there's all this guilt that they carry. Yeah. That bittersweetness that you were talking about, Travis. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then, um, Ray, you wrote the, the screenplay too, right? Yeah. How would you describe it? I mean, I've I've been lucky enough; I've actually seen the film. But oh, for okay. a, a, most listeners, I think haven't seen the film. How would, I haven't seen the no, film yet. Seen I know, it. but she will. How would you, without giving it all away, mm. how would you describe the story? This both the process of writing the story. I mean, mm. it's a fictionalization of, like, I, I suppose many people's experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, well, I mean, the book to start with is very interesting, right? All those interviewees. So, um, and they have all different characters. So I basically find a few stories that I thought was really interesting and a few characters. And then I kind of like boil them down to two or three main characters. And then I imagine one meets another one now, what will happen. And uh, I didn't want to do any flashbacks or anything like that. I want it to be now and they meet now and then they develop a, a, a romance, a love story that way you know so um so basically the story is about pat a taxi driver uh, who's like 70 years old he refused to retire uh he has a wife and kids and the kids are all grown up already and uh he goes to the public toilet to cruises because he kind of like needs that sexual you know relief but apart from that he lives a very very heterosexual life and then one day he meets Hoy a retiree and a single father and then at first you know he just wanted sex but Hoy doesn't want Hoy wants a kind of like a more friendship and then they get to know each other and slowly they develop a relationship so that's kind of like basically the story but the story also the movie also have like a different components you know apart from the romance there's also they're two separate families and what the dynamic of those two uh, families are like and what it's like to live together with someone with a secret. I think that was also something that I wanted to explore as well. Yeah. You also, I haven't seen the movie, but I've seen the trail and um, I've seen some parts of the wedding. I've seen uh, the, the, the dinners. Why is uh, why are dinners so important uh, to reveal uh, as part of your, your film? Yeah, I think because uh, in Hong Kong, um, Everybody is so busy, right? The whole family is so busy and the only really time that you get together is at dinners, you know, and then you all sit together and, and, and the dinner dynamic can really tell a story that's behind like who likes who, who doesn't like who, who said something last night, who was upset with who, who was ignoring who. All those kind of things can really, really Be tell. revealed in, yes. in a short yes. half-hour dinner. Yes, yes, exactly, you know, and it's, it's so subtle because like, because people um, are live in a very small space and a lot of time they still have to live together. So you, if you don't like something, you can't really just tell them in your face because what's going to happen tomorrow, you still have to face each other. At the same other. dinner. Exactly, at the same dinner, right? Or under the same roof and you can't really get away that much. So, so therefore, how do you navigate that? and show you that I'm upset with you, what happened last night, but I'm not telling you. So this is all very subtle. So I thought I really want to capture that uh, in the movie. So um, we kind of basically using the dinners to chart uh, Pack, uh, his experience, his journey with Hoy, like at the beginning when he's having dinner with his family, he's quite proud, he's quite happy. But as the romance goes on, as he gets deeper and deeper into the relationship, he feels more and more uh, distant from the family. And just by his behavior, he has the more guilt. The secret that he's holding. Yes, 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 all that, yeah. 
I just want to ask, actually, Travis, an, another thing about this. When we said that, you know, a lot of these men have this secret, mm. is it really secret? I mean, do, do you think their families know <laughs> somehow, you know, yeah, you know, my husband wrong. is not... Yeah, you know, yeah. All my I, I think it's kind of like open secret. Well, I mean, even though, like, when whenever I ask them, they always say, oh, no, 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 my my, my wife doesn't know about it. But I, I really bad, like, you know, their wives actually really know. But I, I think in some way it's kind of like an open secret. And so this also the strategy that they actually use in that generation is kind of like quite tactful. You know, it's not really out or not out. You know, it's not really telling you, but not telling you. I think in that sort of like, you know, silence. And then they think, like, oh, you, you know, <laughs> you know that. I know that you know. That, you know yeah. that sort of thing, like, you know. So that kind of like silence in that generation is very interesting. You know, they interpret that, that kind of silence as the way to come out. You know what I mean, right? Mm. But in the in 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 the young generation, it's very different. They say like you know, if if it is that kind of like silence, if I don't really come out, then that means like you know, I actually blocked my communication with my parents. You know, which is very very different. So that's why like you know, they really stress on the fact like I really need to say it. You know, I really break from the silence. But in the past, like you know, they have very different understanding about what silence actually means. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. Sorry. Go on. Uh, I was just saying that, like in the movie, like Pat and Hoy, that's the way that they deal with is very different because Pat is like, he actually doesn't really believe he's gay. He just feels this is one of the things, uh, almost like a gambling habit that he has that he's kind of ashamed of, but he has to deal with it occasionally. But he doesn't really identify himself as gay. So when he is with his wife, he actually doesn't feel that he's so into his denial that he actually doesn't think. That there's a problem. There's no way she would ever knew that Suspected, I have this desire, yes. you know. So, so he actually treats it that way, completely in denial. While Hoy, who is actually um, knew that he was gay before he got married, and then he married because of the family pressure and have a kid, and then he divorced his wife purposely, and then he actually leads a very gay life. And for him, he actually knows, and then he behaves very differently. So. Um, in the performance that I asked Ben, the actor, to actually carries a lot more shame with it when he's with his son. So his the dynamic with his son is very, very different because his son obviously knows, but yet they still don't talk about it. But yet the father is being very guilty about it and the son is being kind of like dominant almost in, the, in their relationship because the son is also a Christian. So he kind of wants to help his father to go into the right path. So there's that family dynamic in that family. Wow. Okay, yeah. well, let's take a quick uh, news break and we'll return to a more interesting uh, talk with Ray and Travis uh, on this Friday afternoon. Welcome back. You're listening to the Agenda Cafe this Friday afternoon with me, Karen Ko, and Noreen Mir. And today we are talking about a Hong Kong film called Sok Sok, which is directed by Ray Young and also based on the book written by Dr. Travis Kong, who's Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Hong Kong. And, and it talks all about the uh, elderly grey community, gay community, grey and gay community in Hong Kong. And of course, we have um, Travis and Ray with us. And we were talking a bit about um, the making of the film. Ray, let's carry on with that. What was it like, 
you know, you wrote the film. What was it like actually getting it produced, like getting funding, finding your cast, uh, all the all the production matters? Yeah, it was difficult, I think, because um, first of all, you know, approaching people uh, for funding, you know, because it's LGBT to start with, it's already limited. And then you talk about an elderly gay, people like look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and uh, and um, so... Um, uh, I gave it to a, a director called Stanley Kwan and uh, the script and then he really liked it and then he said okay I'll help you to find finance and then he approached um, um, people in China and people in Taiwan and people in Hong Kong and they all said no so we applied for government funding and then uh, we got rejected as well because the Hong Kong Film Fund felt that the film was not commercial enough and then the uh, arts uh, board found that it was not experimental enough so <laughs> we can't we, win <laughs> yeah so we were catch 22 so we couldn't do that so we basically it's private funded we just went around did a lot of um, uh, group group read and then sort of like invite people and see what they are interested in uh, investing in the film so um, finding the actors again was another big challenge because um, that age group most of the actors they came from the uh, 60s 70s and when Hong Kong did a lot of martial arts movie or television so they were just used to playing a lot of like swordsmen police uh, detectives gangsters so so it was very difficult I remember one one actor I approached and then I said oh well you know he said oh uh, a gay character I actually played one gay character before in my life so I can't do it so I thought, well, you have played gangster all your life and you're still doing it. Why didn't you say no to that? <laughs> but, you know, so they come up with like quite interesting reasons to say no. And then some of them said, yes, but I will not kiss. I will not hold hands. I will not do sex scenes. So mm. against those, I, I kind of like basically rejected them. And so uh, finally, so uh, um, I was uh, able to meet Taibo. I saw him in a movie called Glamorous Youth by Philip Jung. I thought he was very good in it. So uh, I tried to find him and he already lives in Taiwan. So I had to fly to Taiwan to meet up with him. Yeah. And what, what, what did he say when you approached him? Why me? <laughs> <laughs> what makes you think that I can do it? <laughs> so I have to tell him because of the movie I saw, I thought he was very natural in it and he can play a father role very well. And um, so, you know, so, so I gave him the script basically and then he, he, he read about it. And then uh, a, a month later, he said, OK, I'm interested. But he, it took him a while to actually then eventually get to sign you know to sign on I think he just took a time to really think about it because I mean I can understand because like you took your whole life to build up a particular uh, persona or mm. character you do not want to at the end you know or not at the end but near the end of your or, or of your career to suddenly like screw it up by playing something that people might laugh at you or something like that so I think he was worried about that but you know so it took him a while so and then with Ben was that um, by then um, I already exhausted most of the actors of that yeah, age group. There's not many left. Right? Yeah, so I had to look for someone who was younger, which I really didn't want to do. I didn't want to age up an actor, but by then I didn't really have a lot of choice. So I was going around and looking for actors. Uh, and I was looking for a lot of theatre actors as well. And I thought they would be more flexible. Actually, I was quite surprised a lot of theatre actors also said no. And uh, but Ben Ben was mainly doing theatre, and then uh, but he said yes, so it was very good. And then um, he read the script, he liked it, so he came on board quite quickly. What, was it um, for the two characters? Of course, when they met each other, did it take a while for them to get into the relationship? Because obviously these are roles they've never played before, and and there are some very intimate physical scenes. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, 
what I did was that I did a couple of days rehearsal, and I also um, gave each uh, main characters a backstory. And the backstory, I think, was very, very important because then they can really realize what the whole experience of this character is. And a lot of our behaviors is very much depending on our own experience. You know, if we were bullied in school, and then maybe we are very shy, or we might be very aggressive, or we see, you know, anything that we felt threatened. So that kind of things. After they read it, and then I did the group. Like like the family dynamic, they all have to sit together and read out their own histories to each other. So we all the all the all the um, characters they all know. You know, like if you're playing my son, then I know that when you were 19, you uh, dumped by your girlfriend or something like that. So they all knew about that. So once when the actors, because they're all very professional, right? So once when they have that background, they are already in character. So when they did the scene, they become very natural because they are reacting to the histories that they had. So and then and then and also the performance would be very natural because like I witness how you are behaving, so I react to your behavior this way. So the acting becomes much more naturalistic rather than going there telling the actors like you are angry now, you are upset now. Then they have to think,、oh, okay, I be angry. Then you it, then it become very exaggerated, you know. So you rather be the actor. Reacting naturally from how he thinks, so that's how I approach it. Yeah.、Mm. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Karen. I was going to ask、um, about、uh, following on the casting. You know, it's wonderful for audiences to see representation, to to, to see gays, queers,、uh, lesbians on, on, on in the movies. How difficult is it to actually get a gay actor、uh, around playing a, a gay role? I mean, you mentioned the limitations that you had trying to find an elderly、um, mm. actor in the first place. I mean,、mm. had you tried looking for for gay actors?、Um, I think in Hong Kong is very difficult because if there were any, then they would be in the closet, in the closet. anyway. Yes. So,、uh, particularly for that age group, that's、uh, very, very, very difficult, and it's also very unfair if I really find like. Say an out gay、uh, actor, and if he plays a gay part, then everybody just think, oh wow, he's just playing himself,、mm-hmm. you know. Because it's also the society thinking that gay is just one label on you, and that's all you are. If you are gay, you play a gay character. You're just playing yourself, not thinking that. I mean, you know, straight people are. Everywhere, play every character, and they if play- they play straight, you just go, oh, he's a straight actor playing a straight role, so that's just him, you know. You don't say that, right? So that's automatically is a very, very clear discrimination. There is thinking that, you know, a, a gay actor playing a gay role is not acting, you know.、Mm-hmm. So, but you know, it it is very difficult to find one、um, in in Hong Kong, you know.、Um, even though and. When I did my last movie in New York, I actually never used that kind of approach as well because I don't think it's fair to actually ask an actor like, you know, what kind of <laughs> whether you're gay or straight, you know,、um, because I'm playing a gay、uh, casting for a gay part as well. Yeah, yeah. that's so interesting.、Um, I only ask that because sometimes, I mean, I remember in Glee,、um, they had a disabled character, and they were they were wondering why they wanted、um, a, a non-disabled person playing that disabled actor、yeah. because it's part of that representation. Oh, I can see myself. Doing a movie, but I I completely yeah, understand yeah. your point because you know you don't need a gay character, you don't need a gay person to play、yeah. a gay character. It's part of their professional、yeah. um, acting. Um, I, I do want to further. What about that sort of? Oh gosh, I've forgotten what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten my point. It's such a good follow-up point. Okay, never mind, Karen. Okay, all right, I'll move to something different. <laughs> so. The other great thing about this film is that、um, you won the best film、um, at the Hong Kong Film Critics Society Awards for last year. How did that make you feel? I mean, when you when you found out about that, both of you actually.、Uh, well, well, first of all, it's like 
I actually didn't really expect that kind of like um, acknowledgement. You know, I mean, it's something that you always hope for, but you know, you just do that. I think I think that for me is uh, important in the sense that because I also uh, run the Hong Kong Lesbian Gay Film Festival uh, since 2000. So, and all the time I've been trying to make LGBT movies to a broader audience and make more people accepting it. And I thought that, you know, the uh, critics are what, what it really represents apart from you know, sort of like uh, endorsing the movie is also that the public in general now see LGBT movies differently. It's no longer see that it is a movie that is catered for a small group. And their endorsement really also highlighted and showed that the public can really enjoy this movie. It's not just a gay movie. So I think for me, that is very important. You answered my question already. It's exactly that. You know, <laughs> it, it really is. Some people have that perception that, oh, gay movie, I'm not going to watch it. It's for gay people. And that's totally not true. You know, um, gay people watch all sorts of movies. So why can't, you know, we watch a, um, a movie with, with a with an LGBT theme? Mm. And it's true. And, and do you think winning that award was really the validation? And what do you have to say to people who still have that perception? Well, I think there will always be people with that kind of, um, you know, the way that they see things. It's just like, okay, I, I just will not go and see this movie, you know. So, you know, you just hope that it's a slow process. You know, it has taken that long to get here and you can't really force them to go into the cinema. But I think having all these awards and, you know, like the Golden Horse as well, which is quite a traditional, uh, you know. So all that, all that I think will help and think that, well, you know, and I think now because uh, uh, Taibo is winning of acting awards as well. So I think people think, well, just to go in and then watch the actors perform is also something that might entice him to come in to the cinema yeah. as well. And I mean, what what are your expectations then for um, who is going to see it? I mean, I, I was lucky enough to go to a preview, mm. which of course was socially distanced, so the cinema wasn't very full. But mm. it seemed like a very wide, diverse audience that day. Mm -hmm. I think I think uh, what we want to get is like a lot of um, uh, female audience. I think I think they were more in touch with this kind of like storyline and also. To understand like, uh, the sacrifices they make, particularly the wife in the in the movie as well, um, because like the movie really kind of shows how important it is to build a family and how difficult it is to build a family, particularly from people of that kind of background. So I think that hopefully will touch the audience, and hopefully that the female audience will bring their boyfriends, you know, or you know, talk to more other people, and hopefully that kind of audience will come through. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Travis, did you expect uh, your book to inspire a film? Oh, no. <laughs> well, we spoke six no, years ago. no, no, it's just like a miracle. I mean, one needs to another, as I told to like you know at first it was just like an academic study right and later on like it sort of like changed to what we call like participatory action research you know so that's why like uh what's uh, participation act action yeah, right. research <laughs> <laughs> well in in the way that like it's not really armchair sociology you know mm -hmm. it's actually kind of like to translate the knowledge you know into community yeah. sort of like capacity building and all stuff like and so that's why like at the end of the day like uh, uh after the, the publication of that Chinese book and we actually set up the social group, you know, to really take care of the well-being of all the LGBT in Hong Kong. And so, yeah, that like yeah, that's actually like another stage. Like, you know, when I when I gave the book to Ray, I didn't really expect him really read the book. <laughs> yeah, and also like uh, yeah, wrote the screen the screenplay, and I was really amazed. The first time, like you know, when Ray sent it to me, it was on a Sunday morning, I think. Like, and I just read it like immediately, and I was. Oh wow, I love it. And so like uh making like you know the film and 
kind of like out from the book, I was like, oh wow, that's that's really really important and interesting. Mm-hmm. And also like you know, as, as you just said, like uh, the film actually got like a uh, um, uh, appreciation, you know, from the Hong Kong Film Critics Society, which I think is a very very important acknowledgement about the film. That's like you know, the issue is not really just about LGBT. You know, it's not really about like you know, two older gay men falling in love. It's about Hong Kong. It's about like family, especially Chinese family, and about like you know, all the values about what is mapped by like intimacy, what is mapped by like being a person. You know, so that's why like I think like it's really really amazing. And the Golden <laughs> Horse as well. For yeah, type of, yeah. I mean. How did you sort of come up with those characters? Were they facets of people um, you'd met or were they sort of based on Travis's book? I mean, it's a big imagination to really make these characters come to life. Yeah, I think uh, some of it is the experiences and the characters from uh, from the book and from the people I actually met, some interviewees, and some of it is just imagining things and then how it will work um, when they get together. Uh, Why a taxi driver? Well, I was thinking that because... Um, Everybody he, takes a taxi and everybody... <laughs> yeah, because like the character, like he has to have a certain kind of freedom and he has to go around and how is he going to meet men, right? If he actually lives, works in a factory, 24-7 he's meeting the he's same people. Yes. He can't. So with a taxi driver and they know all the public toilets, so then he will be able to drive very far away from his catchment area and then actually meet people and do it very secretly and do it for many years. So that was why I chose that particular profession. Yeah. And he has a reason to be away from home for many hours every day. Yes, right? and you do, and a lot of them do two shifts in those days particularly. So you, basically it's also like if you do two shifts, you really just go home to sleep. So that's why his relationship with his wife can maintain all these years without actually having a lot of fiction because... They just don't That's see each other. Normal, yeah. You know, yeah, like he just go home, he sleep. The next morning, he get up, he leaves, and the wife is also working very hard herself, looking after the kids. And then, in the back story, that the wife's also like, uh, basically, she kind of like uh, babysit for other neighbors as well, and she also take in laundry. So she also have her own very busy life as well. And, and in those days in Hong Kong, people of that kind of background, they do actually struggle like that. You know, they do work 18 hours a day to keep going. So, so I really want to capture that as well, you know. Mm. So, yeah. Do you think, Ray, that hopefully your film will help open up the conversation about, about this community? Um, yes. You know, start some discussion. And I think about how we see old people as well. I think because like, a lot of the times when we uh, talk to our grandparents or our parents, we just see them like, we, we think how we look after them. It's like, oh, have you seen the doctor? Are you wearing enough clothes? That's the max we do. But actually, you know, they have a lot of desires as well. You know, maybe they still want, you know, attraction. They still want to feel attractive. I asked my grandma, do you want a boyfriend now? <laughs> Since my grandpa passed away and she's like, yes. <laughs> and it's true, they still have yeah. desires yes. like everybody. Yes. yes, because we are just us, right? I'm sure 20 years later, we're not going to suddenly turn into these people that all I care about is my neck or my my knees. Right? <laughs> That's right. Or my, yeah, exactly. No, it's true. I think we, the, I mean, this is like the intersection of ageism and you know being a sexual minority that that already people assume that as people get older they become asexual they somehow Mm. lose interest or it's just something that retires in their life but which is so not true yes yes so i mean you know like so i I hope people after watching the movies acknowledge that they have that kind of desires including sexual desires and also actually when you say care about them also care them on the emotional level as well you know like say a lot of them they have lost their life partners for 40 years 
I mean, suddenly they have to relive their life as a single person, mm-hmm. doesn't even know the password. You know, that kind of things can be very, very frustrating for them. So, you know, sort of like having an emotional sort of like, uh, uh, you know, in touch with them is also, you know, it will help as well as how we see it over the generation. Mm. Now, yeah. Travis, with your gay and, and grey group, I know that there, there are some very specific things that... Um, would help them and and one of the things um, that you talked about and is in the movie is talking about the elderly care homes mm-hmm. can you tell us a bit more about that yeah right oh well I just wanted you know uh, to weigh in like you know what you have just said like I mean I think like you know, in Hong Kong even like uh, the elderly surface is in some way is quite matured but then they never really like uh, link elderly people with sexuality yeah, not just about like you know lgbt but even about like you know heterosexual couples you know if you're heterosexual couples if you go to like you know those kind of like elderly um home services and then they have to separate you oh, <laughs> unless you like you know you can pay extra wow. right yeah because like you know they only have like you know you know on the floor like you know only one sex mm-hmm. and so that's why like you know even if you talked about one heterosexual couple they have to separate it you know and they go to like this just like out. their kids again right yeah so this like for me is unimaginable but like well this is like you know the, the way that like they have that kind of like blind eyes you know on sexual as if like you know older people they do not have any desires. sex at all yeah desires and sexual intimacy at all so not just to mention about like LGBT uh, sexual minorities group and uh, yeah and so that's why like our group is actually trying to put forward an idea that like uh, we really want to have more awareness from the uh, community and also from uh, mainly about like frontline professionals yeah I, I mean like you know setting up like a, an elderly um, house like cater for LGBT, old LGBT will be one choice. But I think more important is like um, uh, to get integrated, you know, with the mainstream social services. But then now I think the major problem is like a lot of like frontline workers, they do not have that kind of like idea. So there are two different levels of ignorance. One is like, oh, they don't see these people because they don't have that kind of like sense. The other one is like, they even know, that, oh, wow, you know, I, I think that uncle might be gay. But like, because they don't have any kind of like relevant professional knowledge and skills and training. So they just pretend that, oh, I, I, I don't see them because I, I yeah, I, I, you know, if I, knowledge, you know, they exist. It's too hard. I, yeah, yeah, it's too hard and I don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, so I think like now what we're trying to do is to train the trainer, you know, so that's why like uh, we're now producing a really interesting video about like, you know, the uh, all the LGBT needs and challenges and then show to like uh, these like um, uh, frontline workers and trying to help them to understand a bit more about like, uh, uh, you know, their needs and problems and challenges. Mm. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, um, just getting back to, to the arts, you know, we often see that, that culture can lead change. I mean, when you think about all the famous musicians or actors who've come out over the past 30, 40 years, that's really helped in, in making, you know, a different sexual lifestyle more acceptable. How far do you think Hong Kong is from this kind of you know this kind of acceptance and hopefully eventually legal change. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's it's slow. You know, certainly I think um, 
like like now, even for uh, equality, like gay equality, like a lot of the times that the the couple themselves or or whoever who needs to fight for the rights have actually they have to use the court, you know, has to use the legal system, you know, they actually have to spend time and money and all the stress of doing it. The, the the government doesn't actually take the initiative to make any changes, you know. So you have to sue the policy, you have to sue the department, have to go through all that order, and then eventually hope that. Is in your, you know, positive in your side, you know, the final judgment. So all that is very, very stressful, and um, and making the changes very, mm. very slow as well. Um, so yes, I think um, it has improved. Um, you know, from you know, twenty years ago, I would say, but you know, it's still a long way to go. I think you know, stuff like any kind of like real equality, you know, is still still very, very much um, mm. uh, work. Yeah. Yeah. How are we doing in terms of uh, in, in terms of the art scene? Uh, in terms of films, uh, are we uh, producing a lot of uh, LGBT films here in Hong Kong compared to the rest of Asia? Mm, no, because like I, I because I, I organized the LGBT film festival, so every year it's very very difficult to find any kind of like local productions to do it. Um, money is a, a one issue, and then I think also um, because the industry itself, the Hong Kong film industry itself, is sort of like shrinking, shrinking. as well, and a lot of the film because seeing they're move, moving to China to work is the final destination, you know, where you'll make more money. And so therefore, you will not want to approach a subject that you know is not going to be shown in China because of censorship. They do not show LGBT movies in China. So that was one major issue that I had when I was looking for finance Funding, as well. Yeah. Is they said, well, this will never play in China. So what is the point, you know? And because Hong Kong market is so small, according to them. So, um, so you have that kind of reason. So, therefore, a lot of the um, LGBT movies is like one in a couple of years. So, it has not been you know that many really. And then, and lesbian movies is almost none. You know, like we were trying to do a retrospective last year, and we could only find three or four. And only one was actually made by a female director, and she's straight. Yeah. So it's like wow. So all these years there hasn't been one you know lesbian. Filmmaker who has made a big feature that actually was shown in the cinema. I mean, you have a couple of independent ones, but never really a big one by a lesbian out lesbian director, and that is quite surprising. You yeah. know, yeah. Well, maybe Travis, you need to write a book about it <laughs> and inspire another director. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we quite like the detail. Some 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 some. So, why is it called sok sok? Actually, uh, sok sok is a uh, uh, Cantonese term for uncle yes. or uncles, right? And then I think uh, if you can read Chinese, uh, it's a sok, and then I have a dot and another sok. So it's basically two uncles, and they're separated by this dot. And this dot could be their heart, or could be their family, or could be anything. Yeah, yeah that's lovely. <laughs> So Ray, I know it's you've been delayed because of uh, cinema closures and all sorts of things. When can the public see the movie? Uh, well, because of the virus, so we have delayed it and delayed it again, and and now uh, the date is going to be May twenty eighth. Okay, so, so it'll be out it. in cinemas May twenty eighth. Yes. That's great. And uh, Travis, there's also a, a fundraiser as well. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, well, we still keep like the date on the 12th of May, and then there will be like a fundraising premiere of the movie, and then uh, all the fundings and you know uh, expenses will go to Gain Grey. Yeah. How can people find out more about? Oh, the you're right. Yeah, they can actually go to our Facebook website. It's just called Gain Grey Hong Kong, and so they yeah they can find all the details.
Excellent. Well, thank you very much uh, indeed for, for both your time. And we were talking to Travis Kong, uh, the author of Oral Histories of Older Gay Men in Hong Kong. And he's also the Associate Professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, and also Ray Young, the film director, and also wrote the film Suk Suk. Go watch it. Karen, you recommend it? I definitely recommend it. It's it's a beautiful, quiet, very touching film. Um, so, you know, that's my film recommendation of this week. Go see Suk Suk when it comes out. So, uh, once again, Travis and Ray, thank you so much for joining us on the Agenda Cafe. Thank you.